If you remember, as we work our way through the scriptures in Job, it's important for us to remind ourselves what it is that God said about Job. Because that helps us understand what we're reading, what's going on, who's right, who's wrong, what advice is good advice, what advice isn't so good. You remember in the beginning, God said of Job, there's nobody like him in all the earth. Nobody else even close. There's nobody as righteous. There's nobody who walks with me. Really what we see God declaring in chapter 1 of Job is that Job had a personal relationship with God. Now that shouldn't be all that shocking to us. Right? Abraham had one, didn't he? Noah? What about Adam? What about Cain and Abel? The reality is we work our way through the Old Testament and through the patriarchs. We discover that the men and women that God used throughout the Old Testament had a personal relationship with God. God spoke to them. God directed them. God led them. And so as God declares in chapter 1 of Job, I I have a personal relationship with Job, Satan comes in. Satan, the accuser, says, well, the only reason Job's with you is because you give him good things. I think God gives us the book of Job to mess with our theology. (laughs) If Job don't mess with your theology, then... The good news is you don't understand theology. Um, Because God says to Satan, well, knock yourself out. And one day, Satan takes everything Job has. Ten children, all his goods, all his stuff. And Job declares at the end of that day victory for God when he said... The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. And when we remember that, we remember that in chapter 1, way back in the beginning, Job, God's champion, delivered a death blow to Satan's attempts at at short-circuiting Job's relationship with God. When we come to the book of Job, it's important that we remember who the central figure is. The central figure is not Job. The central figure is God. When we come to the book of Job and make Job the central figure, we are being man-centric. We are considering what is happening to man, what's going on to man, and we forget that it all begins as an attack from Satan against God's goodness. Saying, God, if you aren't blessing, nobody's going to follow you. They won't receive from your hands evil or bad things happening in their life. They'll quit. Then Satan comes to him in chapter 2 and says, Well, that's great. You know, I just touched all this stuff, but you didn't let me touch his skin. Skin for skin, all a man will give for his life. So God said to Satan, Touch him. Only don't take his life. You can't kill him. What we see in the first two chapters of Job is the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of things that we have a difficulty explaining how God could possibly be in control of. Primarily, God is in control of Satan's leash. Satan can't do anything he doesn't have the okay to do from God. That's rough. 
and dealing with those concepts theologically. The central figure in the book of Job is God. And will Job curse God? His ten children are gone. I think that he's holding his wife and his wife and, and he are our company. And I think he's thinking to himself, you know, Lord, I think as long as I have her, as long as, as we have each other, I, I think we can get through this okay. And I think right then, he broke out in boils and hives and that made him unclean. So no more hugs from your wife. No more are you able to comfort her. And then she said to him, why do you still cling to your integrity? What was his integrity? I have a relationship with God. God loves me. How can you say God loves you? Look at your life. Sat on the shores of the Sea of Galilee one time doing worship on the Sea of Galilee and and kind of came to after I was doing worship for a while and there was like a little street fair all around me. It popped up around me. People started walking by and throwing uh, uh, shekels in my guitar case. I felt cheap. Like, I don't think it's okay for me to get paid for just sitting out here and worshiping God. Don't get crazy. I didn't get all that many shekels. They might have been throwing them to get me to stop. I'm not sure. But but nonetheless, they're, they're throwing shekels. I had three Hebrew kids come up to me. and So we just started talking. Music kind of became a... Uh, open door and they showed me some stuff and I showed them some stuff and we got to talking about God. And they said, "How? why do you say we're God's chosen people? You ever look at our history? Everywhere we go, wherever we've been, everybody wants to kill us. Uh, God doesn't love us. Sometimes Satan's tricks work. And hardship comes into life and people give up. The writer of Hebrews told us this. We have need of endurance. Paul told us in Romans that we should glory in our tribulation because tribulation produces patience and patience produces endurance, perseverance, character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint for the love of God is poured out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. The writers throughout the New Testament tell us that right along with Job, bad things are going to happen in your life. But you read anywhere in the Bible where God said, you come to me and everything's going to be cherries. If you find that, let me know. There's a lot of people on TV who say that. I just don't know where they're getting it. I know Jesus said that the world hated me. It's going to hate you too. A servant is not greater than his master. If you follow me, they're going to hate you. I know that Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. Nobody's got that on their fridge, right? This is my promise for today. No, we put other ones up, right? I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We like that one. So when we look at all, at all of those things, God's word declares to us that there are going to be times of battle. Now, life is not going to be all battle. But there, you are in a warfare. 
And we sometimes come to our relationship with God with an, an attitude that we're in peace now. Well, we have peace with God, but that's not the same thing as being in peace now. We don't have peace with the world, do we? We're not in the, heading in the same direction, are we? Are you paying attention to the news? It's getting a little dicey out there. And we, we look at the things that are happening in the Middle East and the things that are beginning to happen in Europe. And I think we comfort ourselves here and say, well, that's not ever going to happen here. I can tell you that that's what they were saying in England. A couple of years ago, a couple of guys took a soldier who was coming off a base, drug him out of his car, and cut him up with machetes in the middle of the street. As a proclamation to the jihad. Holy war. Pretty sure they were pretty sure that would never happen there either. The reality is, none of those things are shocking on the page of Scripture. God told us those days would come. Right? Wars and rumors of wars. That there would be all kind of crazy things and men's hearts failing within them for the, for the stuff going on around them. But do you know what the Bible declares next? I, I, I was reading Facebook. should never do that. But I was reading Facebook and somebody, somebody put on there something about ISIS who were, who were uh, cutting off the heads of children who were believers or parents who were believers or what have you. And uh, it was funny. They said, they said uh, we, the, one of the captions was, Would you people out there please stop teaching that pre-tribulation crap. They actually said that word. Can you believe that? And I thought to myself, why? They were saying, well, these people are thinking God's going to save them. Where in the Bible does this say God's going to save you from persecution? Excuse me? But does the Bible say, always pray that you will be counted worthy to escape the Time of trial that is to come upon the whole world? Well, yeah, it says that. What is the purpose in the word? That we not are looking for a way out or a way of escape. That we are looking for Jesus Christ. Just so you know, there is only one theological view of the rapture that can say they're looking for Jesus Right now. The imminent return of Christ means that he can come at any time. If I accept any other view, I I have no hope in looking for Christ. I might be looking for something else. The Antichrist, a seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel, looking for the beginning of the tribulation. I'm looking for signs, but I'm not looking for the return of Jesus Christ, which Paul looked for. First and Second Thessalonians, if you go through and read, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's a side point, but if you look at First and Second Thessalonians, you're going to see Paul say, We are waiting for the return of Christ. Now, how could Paul be doing that if he thought Jesus wouldn't come back to the end of a tribulation period? Could he say that? So here's what uh, a guy I like, I like a guy named David Hawking. Here's what David Hawking says. I like it. He says, I reserve the right to change my eschatology as I need to. 
So currently, in order for me to be looking for the return of Christ, I am waiting for him before the tribulation. If the tribulation starts, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep looking for Christ. Which means I'll adopt the next view. Which may be mid-trib. And then if he don't come, I reserve the right to change my eschatology to pre-wrath. And if he still doesn't come, I reserve the right to change my eschatology to post-trib. I'm going to look for Jesus every day I'm alive. Is there something wrong with that? When Stephen was being killed, martyred, when he who dedicated his life to following Christ found himself in an argument with a bunch of of scribes and Pharisees, and it escalated to the point where they began stoning him, where did he look? And who did he see? Seated at the right hand? Actually, he was what? Standing. He was standing to receive Stephen. We're to live our lives always looking for Christ. Job lived his life in all that persecution that was going on around him. Looking for God. Wanting to understand what was going on in his life. But never through the whole period. And some people say that this time period that that Job was suffering was a year plus. You imagine that? We don't know. But as he sat there, as he sat there in the ash heap and he wondered what God was doing, never one time did he say, you know what? Forget this. If following you is going to be like this, I'm out of here. Never one time. Because God said, ah, there's nobody like Job. We have a relationship. One of the key things we want to ask ourselves as we look at Job, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, as soon as the sun comes and it gets warm and it starts to beat down on that little plant that's grown from the seed, what did Jesus say? The sun scorched it and it shriveled up and it went away because it had no depth of earth. It had no relationship. In the parable of the seed... Jesus spoke of four seeds. Three were lost. One bore fruit, right? And each one of those is a story of man's heart. That's an important question that we have to ask ourselves. When we look at Job, I want you to remember that. God said Job got it right and his friends got it wrong. God said... And we see in Job's, especially tonight, we see Job looking to God. He don't understand. Okay, that's okay. It's okay. I don't understand. If I'm one of those parents and and ISIS cut one of my kids' heads off, I don't understand. Is there something wrong with me weeping? Is there something wrong with me mourning? Is there something wrong with me looking for comfort from my brothers and sisters? Is there something wrong with me falling on the ground and losing it? No. There's nothing wrong with that expression. Why do we have emotions? Because God does. Don't you know that? Why do we ponder and think? Philosophers say, I think, therefore I am. You think because God does. 
Whose image are you made in? So it shouldn't shock us that we have those things. And it does not shock God that we express those things. And Job's going to express them. But Job's friends all had the concept that life is all cause and effect. If you want blessed, do good and you'll be blessed. If bad things are happening in your life, you've done something wrong. Is that what the Bible says? That's the challenge that, that his friends had. So Job has just finished responding to Bildad in, in the 9 and 10. We saw Job's response to Bildad. Remember Bildad, he, he starts firing at Job a little harder. Now today in, in chapter 11, it's Zophar. Zophar is gonna, gonna get him. Now, the only guy who was nice in the beginning was Eliphaz. And that was just for the beginning. Cause Eliphaz is gonna talk again in a minute and he's not gonna be nice either. So you'll be tempted to look at some of these things that these guys say and say, man, that just really sounds right. Just remember what God said about them. You all represented me wrong. Job represented me right. So let's think about that as we go. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? <clears throat> I don't want you to miss this. That's a Hebrew idiom for the only people who talk a lot are fools. The multi- Every time the Bible talks about people using a multiple uh, words, they are saying that's foolish. The Proverbs talks about a fool using you know, multiple words, a multitude of words. So that's what he's saying here. Job, you're a fool. And should a man full of talk be vindicated? You're just full of talk. He's, so immediately he's coming out like, Job, you're, you're a knucklehead. It only gets worse. Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? You're vain speaking. You're lying. So all of Job's friends are saying to Job, No, you're representing God wrong. You're saying that God allows bad things to happen to good people. That's why I said Job's going to mess with your theology. Because Job's friends say God doesn't let bad things happen to good people. Now, how long do we have to go in the Bible before bad things happen to good people? What, chapter 4, is that Cain and Abel? So Abel's righteous and Cain's not, and what happens to the righteous dude? He gets beat to death with a rock, right? So, they should understand that. But but it, it messes with the concepts, because we have a concept inside of us that wants to appease the power of, of, of God. Whatever we think God is. And we think, if I appease Him, He'll give me good things. Right? We do it in the church too. If I read my Bible enough, I can't tell you how many people have come to me at one time or another in, in marital strife. There, there's a problem between a husband and a wife and, and the one who is really wanting to, to make things work will come to me and say, man, I didn't, I didn't see this coming and, and what do I need? I, and I'm just, I'm just gonna really go after the Lord. And I always tell them, if you're gonna go after the Lord, you go after the Lord for the Lord's sake. Don't go after the Lord for your wife or husband. So far, in every case, they went after the Lord for the wife or their husband, which is manipulation. And as soon as their wife or their husband didn't come back, they left. That's not a relationship with God. That's trying to appease 
the gods in the heavens with a sacrifice, right? I'm going to give a sacrifice of my time, or a sacrifice of my money, or I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to die to myself and pray, or I'm going to read the Bible every day, or I'm going to fast. All those things are not bad things, but all those things, if we use them to manipulate God, what is that? That's not a relationship. If I do those things to manipulate my friends, you have friends like that? You go out of your way to call them? Oh, I'm going to call that really manipulative friend of mine. Every time I talk to them, they're always trying to manipulate me into doing something or being something or, or, or solving some problem for them. So, so I'm going to call them. Do you guys do that? So why is that the way we want to base our relationship with God? A relationship with God is, is hopefully f- first and foremost about the fact that He loves me. Does He love you when you're bad? Does He love you when you're good? In this, the love of God is manifest toward us. And when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So he loved, John 3.16 says, God so loved how much? The whole world, right? So, is the whole world righteous and good? So the point is that God has an inexhaustible love for his creation. And that should be the basis of our relationship for Him. If we're man-centric, it's going to be, what can I get God to do for me? Can I get Him to give me a better job? Or a nicer place to live? Or, or, or a, a better wife? Or a better husband? That's a, that's a manipulative relationship, right? Thinking about what I can get. If I have a God-centric relationship, it's much different than that. In a God-centric relationship, what I think um, is... I can't believe he loves me after all I've done and who I am and what he wants to do in my life. And, and I just want to know him more. I, I want to understand him more. I want to be able to, to talk to him like Adam did in the cool of the evening. I, I want to be able to hear his voice in the word. I want to be able to hear him speak to me in prayer. I want to be able to feel his presence in worship. That's the kind of relationship, right? Men and women don't marry each other because they they have a manipulative relationship. That's not good. So when we when we look at that, here is what 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 uh, Zothar is saying. This idea that you have about God, Job, is all screwed up. That's not how God is. You give to God, and He gives to you. You give him a hundred bucks, he'll give you two hundred. Is that right? I can hear it on TV every time I turn it on. Give your seed faith. God will promise to bless you 30, 60, and 90. Does it say that in the Bible? It does say that God will bless 30, 60, and 90. It does. Who's he, who's he, who's he talking to? The disciples who have done what? <laughs> Left. All. Peter says, but Lord, what do we have? We've left everything for you. We left it all. He didn't say, Lord, I sent you 30 bucks. Can I get 90 back? Right? It was, it was God saying, yes, I will bless you here. 
And yes, there will be storms. So Peter, do you love me more than these? Or is it just if I give you the 30, 60, 90? Or is it enough if I save your soul from hell? Job, for Job, it was enough. And Zophar is saying, you're wrong. Look what he says in verse 4. In verse 4 he says, For you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. This is what Job was saying about God. Job was saying, I have a right relationship with God. Was Job wrong? What did it say in chapter 1? God said, God said, Job is righteous. There's not one like him on the whole earth. So, what is God saying? Job has a relationship with me. It's right. So here, you see what they're doing? They're coming against Job. Do you say you have a right relationship with God? How can you have a right relationship with God? All your kids died in one day. All your stuff was stolen in one day. Look at your body. Your skin is falling off. You're rotting right before our eyes. How can you cling to your integrity? How can you believe that you have a right relationship with God? And then his friend says, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. And he's saying, if God was here, he'd tell you, Job, you're screwed up. Is that what God would have said? We already know what God would have said, right? And he would show you the secrets of wisdom. For they would double your prudence or your understanding. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Now... That is actually a true statement. Right? That that God charges us less than our iniquity deserves? Sure, that's a true statement. Truth without love is brutality. Truth in love, oh, that's wisdom. He tells them, "You're gonna get. If God was here to tell you how messed up you are, he he'd get you worse." Now, if you're Job, what are you thinking right now? How? Aren't you? How's it gonna be worse? Do you look at me? I'm a giant boil. I can't eat. I can't stop weeping. My wife hates me and blames me for what's going on. I can't comfort her because I'm covered like this. My children are all dead. Everything I had is gone. What would be worse? He's been actually praying for death. So death would kind of be a blessing. But you see how their attitude is. If you really had a good relationship with God, you'd have good. There wouldn't be hard things in your life. If that were true, then ISIS couldn't cut off the heads of any children of believers. So how do they do it? There's only one solution. God let them. And we have to learn to be okay with that. Sometimes we think, Death is a big ripoff. Is that how Paul looked at death? Philippians chapter 1. For me to live is Christ and to die. Because he had eyes 
on the prize, right? The inheritance. Hey, those children faced unmistakable, unmistakable, unbearable horror for a while. What is that measured to eternity in the arms of Christ? Anybody ever hurt him again? Anybody ever break their heart? It's not... It's, it's not a loss to be in the presence of God. Certainly that's not how God looks at it. They finished their race. You still have to finish yours. I say their race was merciful. It was short. You live long enough, you're going to see worse things than that. Will you, like Job, stand in your integrity? I have a relationship with God no matter what. Or will you quit? That's the challenge that the book of Job lays out for us. His friend says in verse 7, Can you search out the deep things of God? Is that true? Can a human understand the deep things of God? Of course not. Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? Nope. Can you understand God? If you could understand God, he'd be kind of a lame God, right? He should be outside of our understanding. In fact, in Isaiah 55, God says the very same thing, doesn't he? My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We don't always understand each other. That's not, that's not shocking. They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Well, okay. Is that anything different than what Job's been saying? No. If he passes by and imprisons and gathers to judgment, who can hinder him? Now, in 11.10, Zophar says the same thing Job said in chapter 9. Same words. Job says, I can't stop. This is from God. I can't stop what God's doing. So, So his friends are using those same arguments. But then he says, For he knows deceitful men and he sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? God knows you're a sinner, Job. You sinned. You messed up. You did something so horrible to God that he's getting you. And Job says, I have a relationship with God. He would tell me. He would tell me that I'm in sin. He would reveal to me my iniquity. Job over and over again, he's going to say, I pray to God and he's answered me. I don't know why he's silent now. I don't know why he's, he's not talking to me now, but I know I have a relationship with him. But here's Zophar saying, no, you don't. You're, you're, you're a wicked man. Look what he says in verse 12. For an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey is born of man. Well, that is not very nice. Do you think that was nice? Does it sound nice to you? Your head is full of air, and the only chance for you to be wise is if a man gives birth to a donkey. I don't think that's going to happen. So they're saying that, Job, you're, you, you are just not the brightest of guys, Job. You're, you don't understand. You don't know God. Don't you see that's what he's saying? How can you say you know God? Obviously, if you knew God, your life wouldn't look like this, Job. Your kids would be over there playing. Just one problem. Chapter 1 and 2. Right? 
Well, he says, so if you would do this, Job, if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, and if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away, in other words, if you would repent from the sin that you have, and would not let wickedness dwell in your tent. You didn't, you didn't live in this habitual sin that, that you've been hiding from all of us. Then, see verse 15, then, if, then. If you didn't have all this sin in your life, he's saying to Job, the, the argument of Job's friends is your hope should be in your ability to repent. Your ability to change. Your ability to stop sinning. Now, is repentance a good thing? Sure it is. Repentance is a good thing. Should we repent? Absolutely. Is my hope in my repentance? My hope is in God's forgiveness. But not my repentance. I'm putting the weight in the wrong place. I'm putting the weight in my Ability to appease the God of the heavens rather than in the God of the heaven. What, what saves you? Faith in your prayer of repentance? What saves you? Is it faith in your baptism? What saves you? Is it, is it faith in your church? Is it faith in the word? What saves you is faith in Christ. And where we place our faith, does it matter? Yeah, very much. Very much. Job has faith, intense faith in God. We're going to see it in a moment. But he's saying, if you would put your hope in repentance, here's what would happen. Then you could lift up your face without spot. Is that true? If you repent of all your sins, you won't get cancer. If you repent of all your sins, you won't be sick. If you repent of all your sins, these things won't touch you. That's what his friend's saying. If you would repent of your sins, you could lift up your face without spot. And you could be steadfast and not afraid. And, and if, you, if you had repented of all your sins, you would forget your misery. You would forget it. And remember it like water that has passed away. And, and if you repented, your life would be brighter than noonday. That's probably not how you would describe Job right now, right? It's brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning. So Job, if you would repent of this sin, this hidden sin that's in your life, God, God would turn all this stuff around. Do you guys get why that's not right? All the, all the weight, all the faith, all the trust is in your ability to repent or in your ability to do or your ability to, 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 to accomplish something. And, and if you haven't been around yourself very long, you should know that if your salvation depends on your abilities, then you're probably not saved. I know in whom I have believed that I am persuaded he is able to keep me to that day. He saves me. I don't save me. You guys get what he's saying here? Is is repentance a part of salvation? Sure it is. I have to admit I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior, right? But I don't trust in my repentance. I trust in Him. I don't trust in what I can do. I trust in Him. 
He says you would be secure because there would be hope. And you would dig around you and take your rest in safety. And you would lie down and no one would make you afraid. And many would court your favor. If you were, if you were living right, bad things wouldn't happen to you. Yeah? Genesis chapter 4 is the first one. How was Noah treated? Everybody treat him with favor? They all wanted to come and gather wisdom from Noah? Now, I'm not talking about the movie. That's not the same story. (laughs) That movie's not even close. It's not even remotely in the same ballpark. In fact, I'm not even sure it's the same Noah. (laughs) Nonetheless. Noah, what does it say? 120 years building the ark? Everybody came to him for wisdom? Nope, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. which Which one of the prophets of God didn't the people kill when they came to tell them about what God was trying to tell them? Does this sound like how it really works? If you do good and walk right and live perfect lives and do all that stuff right, then God will give you good things. That's not how it works. For one thing, you can't do good and live perfect lives. And God is still able to save you to the uttermost. From the guttermost to the uttermost, right? Is there some depth that we can plunge that God can't save us from? Oh, He can save us from all of those things. Well, so, this is His declaration. He says at the end in verse 20, But the eyes of the wicked will fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope is death. Now, it's a funny thing, because Job is hoping for death. Right? We've just read several chapters of Job's like, Please God, let me die. Now, he could have killed himself, right? I mean, I imagine he was a giant ball of pus. It probably wouldn't have took that much to, to put him over the edge. But he doesn't kill himself. He just asks God, kill me, God. And his friend says, only the wicked want to die. Now, is that true? What happens to the wicked after they die? Is that when they have hope? Well, that, that's the loss of hope, isn't it? If you have no relationship with God and you die, what happens? It's appointed unto man once to die and then what? Judgment. But nobody wants to go that, to that before they're ready, right? Does God say he has great joy over the destruction of the wicked? Does the Bible say that? No, he has no, no joy over the destruction of the wicked. But that the wicked would repent, turn, and live. That's God's desire. What they would do. But that's not what Zophar says. Zophar is representing God as though he'll do good things to good people and bad things to bad people. And if we're honest, sometimes we feel that way too. Sometimes when we get man-centered, we think, why is God letting this happen in my life? Why do I have to deal with this? And here's the reality. God doesn't answer that question in here. He just says, you just decide. You trust me or you don't. What's it going to be? You trust me or you don't. I'm telling you, I'm doing this all for your good. Trust me or you don't. That's what he offers us. That's why Joshua says in Joshua 24, right? As for me and my house... 
we'll serve the Lord. You guys choose what you're going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're following God. Come what may. We're with him. So Job's going to answer him. Now here's what I want you to understand. We're going to do 12, 13, and 14. You're saying to yourself, there's no way. You're, you're rambling too much. It's never going to happen. It is going to happen. Just hold on. Here's what I want you to know. All the yous, one of the, one of the cool things about the King James is it uses the word ye when the word you is plural in the original language. Which helps us understand that the word you is plural. What I want you to understand in 12, 13, and 14, every time, or often, I won't say every time, but often, Job is saying the plural you, which means that he's talking to all three friends at the same time. Okay? So in chapter 12, here's what he's going to do. He's going to emphasize that everything that's happening in his life is happening because God has ordained it. Now all his friends will say that's not true. You done bad. But which one was right? According to Job, Job was. Look what he says in chapter 12. Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. So it's proof that sarcasm is in the Bible. God uses sarcasm. Job uses sarcasm occasionally. I struggle with sarcasm too. But I like I like that Job tells these guys who are telling him he's got no brains, he's empty-headed, he's, he's being a fool, all this stuff. And Job says, well, you are the people and wisdom will die with you. You guys are so smart, I don't even know why I'm here. And I, I, I'm pretty sure he's hoping that they'll leave. But, of course, people who are bad counselors never leave. They just stay and keep offering advice. He says, but I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such things as these? He's saying, look, I know I don't understand everything God does. And I don't, I can't have all this intimate knowledge of God. I'm just telling you, I have a relationship with God. And God is still with me today. <coughs> and they're saying, no, he ain't. If he's with you, this wouldn't be happening. He says in verse 4, I am like one uh, mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him. He's saying, listen, I've talked to God and I've heard from him. I used to pray and, and, and I would feel God's peace and God would speak to me. And, and I don't know why that's not happening now. But I'm a guy who used to talk to God and God talked to me. I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with him. And the just and the blameless who is ridiculed. And now all you guys are coming around making fun of me. Because I must be some horrific sinner that, that God would allow such horrible things in my life. He says, a lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. What is a lamp? A lamp is a way that you, you guide your steps, right? But if you don't think you need it, then you don't care. You despise the lamp, right? Oh, get that thing away from me. I don't need that. That's the way somebody is who comes to you for understanding and the cup's already full. Can you feel someone whose cup is full? You ever try to teach somebody who already knows it all? It's not easy, right? Hey, let me show you how to do that. I know how to do that. Well, knock yourself out then. So that's what Job's saying. Look, you guys, you guys don't want any direction. So it is made ready for those whose feet slip. That attitude is saying, I don't need the lamp. I don't need direction. That you're going to trip. 
Job's actually warning his friends throughout these next three chapters that, hey, you guys are misrepresenting God, and I don't think God's going to be okay with that. Was Job right? Well, yeah, because toward the end of the book, God's going to say, look, you guys see what happened to Job? It's going to come to you. Unless Job is willing to pray for you. <laughs> they had to think, oh, I don't know if Job's going to pray for me, man. We, we were not too nice to Job. But Job did. Anyways, he goes on. The tents of robbers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by His hand. What's Job saying? The wicked prosper, and it's God who prospers them. You okay with that? You better be, because it's all over the Bible. Psalm 73 the Asaph said, I almost lost faith when I saw the wicked prosper. And then I went into the sanctuary and I saw his end. God will judge, but he is long-suffering, desiring that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So that's God's plan, God's desire for them. But that's not what they see. They say, no, the wicked don't prosper. What about Cain? The wicked don't prosper. No, they never get away with anything. Are you sure? You've read the news lately? Can any of you think of a wicked, horrible person who is extremely wealthy? Oh, it wasn't even hard, was it? And who does that wicked person owe their praise to for their wealth? Who gave it to them? Now they might think they got it, but that ain't what the Bible says. The Bible says it's God who gave it to them. It's God who allowed that. So that's Job saying, look, God provides even for the wicked. The rain falls on the wicked and the good. Blessing comes. But now, Job says, let's, let's look at God's sovereignty. Let's see if the animals are smart enough to figure this out. Now, let's ask the beast, and they will teach you. And the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? Who takes care of them all? The Bible says God does. He takes care of them all. He is watching over His creation. He is not checked out or on vacation and waiting to show up later on and now the world's getting crazy. God is aware and sovereign over the things that are happening in and around our lives. Look at verse 10. In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? You hear what Job's saying? Hey, God is in control of it all. I don't know why these things happen. But God is in control. Does not the ear test words and the mouth taste food? Wisdom is with aged men and with length of days comes understanding. Now in the Hebrew, sometimes one of the exciting things when we study Job and some of the older books, there are Hebrew words that they put in there that people don't know what they mean. And that's one of those sections. There's actually a few of them here. But it is possible that what this is really saying is wisdom is with the ancient one. Or the ancient of days. Or in other words, wisdom is with God. And with 
the one who lives long comes understanding. It's a reference to the fact of, of, of God having the understanding. That's possible. It may refer to God himself. It, the, the reality is some of those words we don't know. We do the best we can. And with him, look at verse 13. Who, who are we talking about in verse 13? With him. Who's the him? With God. It's not this ancient old man who has wisdom. He's talking about God. With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. God is in control of nature. We okay with that? So one day, in Indonesia, this big wave came through and what? Like 200,000 people died. God's sovereign over the wave. Are we okay with that? Maybe it's easier for us to be okay with that. So, if it was your family that was on Indonesia, are you okay with that? Because that's what Job is saying. God's in control. He's, he's sovereign over that. With Him are strength and prudence. Listen to this. The deceived and the deceiver are His. Is God in control of even the wicked? Wow. What about on September 11th, 2001? Was God in control of the deceived and the deceiver? I told you it's going to mess with your theology. This is what Job is saying. He leads counselors away plundered. Listen. And makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of king and binds their waist with a belt. So he sets kings free, puts them back in a place of rulership. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech. Oh, he takes away people's freedom of speech. And takes away the discernment of the elders, their understanding. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth. He makes them the wander pathless in a pathless wilderness they grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man he says god is in control of the nations god is in control of nature god is in control of people that's what job says god is is sovereign in that in chapter 13 he says, he tells his heart. In, in chapter 12, he says, he begins his argument that my hope is in God because God is in control. So I'm hoping in God. 
He lays his heart out in 13 and builds on that same concept. Behold, my eye has seen all this and my ear has understood it. His desire in chapter 13, I want to speak to God. I wish God was talking to me right now. He says, what you know, speaking to his friends, I also know, I'm not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty. I would rather be talking to God right now than you people. I'm not sure how he feels about that. He, he will have opportunity. And on the day he has opportunity and God says, Job, you have anything to say? Job says, nothing. Nope. I don't have nothing to say. I desire to reason with God. Is there a problem with that? I want to reason with God. What does it say in Isaiah 118? Come, let us reason together. For though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It's God saying through the prophet, let's reason together. Here Job saying, I desire to reason with God. I want to talk to him. I want to understand what's going on. Is there, that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But he says, but you are all forgers of lies. Oh, that's, he's not being very nice to his friends. You are all worthless physicians. And by the way, that's not the worst thing he's going to tell them. But it's the worst thing he's going to tell them right now. Oh, that you would be silent. And it would be your wisdom. The best thing you guys could do right now is just stop talking. Stop talking. Now hear my reasoning. So he says, I would like to reason with God. Hear his reasoning. Understand this relationship that I see. Heed the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Job says, you are misrepresenting God. We should all be careful about that, right? I'm always here. You want a definite get out of jail free card? You come to me and say, God told me. I will not argue with you. Do you say, come say to me, Jackie, God told me that I need to go to Kathmandu. Right on. See you later. You said the magic words. God told you. I'm not arguing with God. If you say, God told me to get a divorce, I'm probably going to argue with you. Because I'll say, God didn't say that. But... You say, God told me to do this, or God told me to do that. You better be careful that you're not misrepresenting God. I had to share with a brother one time. That's not God talking. That's your desire. And your desire has become God. And that's idolatry. That's not God. Be careful speaking for God. That's what he's telling them, right? You guys need to be careful. Will you show partiality with him? They're showing partiality with God. Will you contend for God? You're speaking for Him. And Ben, you guys are going to be in trouble if you keep this up. Will it be well when He searches you out? What's going to happen when God finds you? Well, we're going to find out in a few chapters. It'll be a while. But just hold on. Don't switch the channel. It's coming. Or can you mock Him like one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Is there any partiality with God? The Bible says there is no partiality with God. But they're showing partiality. God loves the people who do good things. God hates the people who do bad things. That's what he's saying. 
he will rebuke you. Will not his excellence make you afraid? When you stand before God in his holiness, you will not have a, a cocky attitude. They didn't. And the dread of him, the terror of God when it falls upon you. Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. All these wise sayings that you have are not worth much. Any of you run around thinking, oh, i got to get some ashes. I need some ashes. That's what I, it's what's missing in my house. I need some, a bag of ashes. Or do you ever take the vacuum cleaner and take the sack out and have the sack fall apart and all the dirt is in the vacuum cleaner go everywhere? Or you ever have one of them bagless ones? Nobody has one of them? We had this bagless one. We still do. I laugh every once in a while because I see evidence of somebody pushing the button they weren't supposed to push. And you take the canister off and it's got this little button on it. And everybody takes the canister off and goes, what's this button do? And they push a button and the bottom falls out. Yeah, no, I don't need all that dirt. I vacuumed it up. I don't want it on the floor. Your wisdom is like ashes. Your defenses are like clay. Is clay strong? Anybody build a house of clay? You can, I suppose. He's saying your house is like clay. I don't know if I'd be trusted in the clay. Look at verse 13. So hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Listen. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Does sound like Job's having a crisis of faith to you? He's like, well, no matter what God does, no matter what he lets in my life, it's me and him till the wheels fall off. I have a relationship with God. It's not a religion. It's not a ritual. It's not a bunch of activities I do. I have a relationship with God. It's me and him till the wheels fall off. He kills me. I will trust him. And even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Now, before you get uptight about Job saying, I'll defend my own ways before him, what did God say about Job? There's nobody like him on all the earth. He was a righteous man before God. So God's saying, hey, man, there's nothing wrong with Job. Job says, I'll defend my own ways before him, and and I'll be my own salvation. Is that what he says? What's he saying in 16? He also shall be my salvation. So Job knows he don't save himself. He knows what? God saves me. God forgives my iniquity. For a hypocrite could not stand and come before him. What's he saying? A play actor, somebody who pretends to believe. They're not going to stand before God. That will not be a pleasant day for a faker, a make-believer. That's not a pleasant day standing before God. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now, I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. That word is the same as the Hebrew word for justified. I know God makes me righteous. That's what he's saying. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I would perish. Only two things. Listen to what he asks of God. Only two things do not do to me. There's two things, God. These two things, please, God, don't do these two things to me. Look at the first one. Withdraw your hand far from me. Every one of Job's friends would be saying right now, God's not anywhere close to you right now, man. 
You're so messed up, God is as far away from you as he can be. But what's Job saying? God, whatever you do, God, Lord, please don't take your hand off of me. That's not a crisis of faith, man. He knows God's with him. He knows God is for him. And let not the dread of you, the terror of you, make me afraid. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We want to live in that reverence. We want to live in that fear of God. But he's saying, I don't want to be afraid of you in the, in the sense that I'm, I'm, I, I fear you. I want, to, I want my reverence to be reverence. I want this relationship to be right. I don't want to be in a place where I'm afraid to come to you. I don't want to come to you. I don't want to pray to you. I don't want to draw near to you. Don't let that happen, God. Don't let these two things happen. Then call. Speaking to the Lord. Then call and I will answer. Or let me speak and you respond to me. Answer my prayers, Lord. Come to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression. So he's not saying I'm a perfect guy. I never done nothing wrong. He's saying, God, let me know what my transgressions are. Lord, show me my iniquities. Why do you hide your face from me and regard me as your enemy? Lord, we, you used to talk to me. Why are you silent? Have you ever had a silent time from God before? A dry time? A time where you're praying and it doesn't seem like nothing's happening? Well, if you haven't, just hang in there. You will. That's what Job's saying. Where, where are you, Lord? What did, the, what did the psalmist say? What did Jesus say from the cross? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? Will you pursue dry stubble? For you write bitter things against me. This has been hard. These however long time he's been there. You make me to inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and you watch me closely on all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. I can only do what you let me do. Man decays like a rotten thing. Like a garment that is moth-eaten. Now he's going to start to talk about his life. Man is born of woman and is few of days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring the clean out of the unclean? No one. Who can bring the clean out of the unclean? Just God. He does it every day. He does it every day. Since his days are determined, the number of his month is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Does does God know our rising up and our lying down? Does he know the day you're born and the day you're going to die? Does God know how long your life's going to be? He knows all those things. He set the limits. So look away from him that he may rest till, like a hired man, he finishes the day. He's looking at his friends now. Why don't you guys just go away? (laughs) You're kind of a drag. For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again. He's saying, he's saying, there is hope. I don't have hope in my life. I have hope in God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I, I, I trust in him. Though it's cut down and... That it will sprout again, that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. Do you ever get a chance to go to the the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives? 
There are olive trees there that date back to the time of Christ. 2,000 year old olive trees. You know what's kind of cool about an olive tree? Even though they burn it and they chop it and they do everything to kill it, if the root's alive, it comes back. And their trunks are gnarly. The 2,000 year old trunks are gnarly, twisted hunks of wood and then coming out of all that deadness are these little green shoots still producing olives from the trees that were on that hillside when Jesus walked through them he's saying man there's hope for a tree though it looks dead on the outside a little bit of water can bring it back to life but a man He dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? Like water disappears from the sea and the river from parch, uh, the river becomes parched and dries up. The same water that brings life to the tree, if we have no water, brings death to the man. So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. When you die, you die. There's no coming back. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave. That's his hope. That you would conceal me until your wrath is past. That you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Remember, it's appointed unto man once to die. Everybody's got a death day built in. You have born on dating. When you run out of time, you're out of time. It is appointed unto man to die. He has an appointed day. And if a man dies, shall he live again? But listen, now Job's talked about all these hopeful things. A tree can die and come back. With the same water that brings a tree back, a man can die of thirst from that. And if a man dies, he's in the grave, and he's in the grave for good. But look, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. He says, I know this is going to turn around. I don't know when. But I hope in God. I don't hope in me. I don't hope in my repentance. I don't hope in the wisdom of my friends. I hope in God. I'm hanging in until it changes. Look what he says. You shall call and I will answer you. God's not done with me. You shall desire the work of your hands. One day I'll give account. For now... You number my steps. You're in control of my life and where I'm at. But do not watch over my sin, for my transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquity. Isn't that how God saves us? My transgression is covered up. Remember how we've been talking about justification and Christ covers over our sin and gives us a right standing Before God, we don't earn that standing. He gives it to us. How did Abraham get that standing? The Bible says in Genesis 15, Abraham did what? Believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. How did Job get it? Same way. Everybody gets it the same way. That's how he got it. And look what he says. But as a mountain falls and crumbles away and the rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones and as torrents wash away the soil of the earth, 
So you destroy the hope of man and prevail forever against him. And he passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. Who is in control of it all? You are in control, God. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Then listen. His sons come to honor him and he doesn't know it. Somebody visits your grave. The dead don't know. They are brought low and he doesn't perceive it. You don't know what happens to your kids after you're gone. But his flesh will be in pain over it. If you're alive, contrasted to that, if you're not dead, if you're alive, it causes you pain to see your kids brought low. And his soul will mourn over it. What's he saying? In 21 and 22, he's saying, don't trust in your life. Your life is here today, gone tomorrow, like a flower now, and then it withers away. We don't know when we're going to be born or when we're going to die. We don't know if our days are going to be happy or sad. You don't know what's waiting at the next phone call. Don't trust in your life. Don't trust in the joy of your life or the sorrow of your life. Trust in God. He's in control of it all. He's in control. God is doing something that you wouldn't understand if he told you at all. Do you know where that's at? Book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, <coughs> he's, a, he's a guy, prophet, didn't understand what God was doing. You guys ever felt that way? Habakkuk didn't understand what God was doing. So the, the unique thing about the, 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 the book of Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk talking to God. Other prophets you read and it says, this is a prophecy against Judah or against, you know, some other place. This is, this is the prophecy against this. And this is a prophecy against that. But in Habakkuk, it's Habakkuk talking to God. God, what are you doing? What is happening? The wicked are prospering. And your people are being whooped by the wicked. You know what God says to him? Habakkuk, I'm doing a work in your day that if I was to tell you all about it, you wouldn't believe it. What's he saying to him? I am in control. Trust me. That's the real question. That's the real question that Job's trying to get all his friends to understand. It's a relationship with God. I trust him no matter what's going on. And when we get to the end of the book, we know God says, Job got it right. That's important for us to understand, isn't it? As we face the ups and downs of life, God is in control. What's his purpose? To destroy us? He told us. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God's working in your life, no matter what it looks like. That's what he's doing.